Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today we take a small step back in time and speak with our former executive chef, Philip Burris. Philip and I spoke this spring right before he and his wife, Isabel, were about to head to Spain to begin a new life, and we proceeded to debrief a decade's worth of his service to Esalen. Philip has such an impressive breadth of knowledge, not only concerning food and the culture surrounding it, but sustainability, teaching, land stewardship, and much more. There's a great deal of thoughtfulness to this guy, and if you ever wondered what went on behind closed doors at one of the best healthy kitchens in California, I think this interview will give you just what you're looking for. Please enjoy my conversation with Philip Burris. Philip, thank you for joining us on Voices of Esalen. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. You came to Esalen 10 years ago from CIA, the Culinary Institute of the Arts. Um, so I'm curious, what, what first drew you to come to Esalen? Uh, I had been, I had visited Big Sur many times in, uh, in my teenage years, in my 20s, and I had always been really uh, struck by the beauty of Big Sur and a little... Uh, mystified as far as, you know, who lives here, where are they? Because you can't really see what's going on in Big Sur other than that it's breathtaking. And uh, I was doing a search of places where I could do my internship from the culinary program, and Esalen was one of the potential sites. And so it was mostly the Big Sur location that got me interested. And then as I read a little bit on the website, um, I felt equal parts intrigued and a little confused at, you know, what I might be getting into. And um, I scheduled a bunch of interviews on in California over the Christmas holiday that year to figure out where to go. All the other places I looked at were, um, you know, really competitive, uh, fine dining, Michelin starred kind of places. And Esalen was the last interview that I had and I came I drove down here directly from the French Laundry in Napa and when I arrived uh, I sat down with the kitchen manager and I told her where I'd just come from and she said oh yeah we're a lot like the French Laundry which is not true at all <laughs> but um yeah so I I think I kind of I came for the Big Sur experience and then realized uh, as soon as I walked into Esalen that there was something really special going on. Did you have a kind of a background in any of the, like, you know, yoga, psychic visions? Uh, yeah, definitely. I was, I was coming from mostly from St. Louis. So in the Midwest, all of that's there, but harder to find. It's not quite as, uh, you know, we're not steeped in it the way we are in California. But definitely that was my, um, you know, that was the sort of community that I was around in St. Louis. And then CIA is in New York? Yeah, it's in the Hudson Valley, <clears throat> and it's it's really beautiful up there. There's farms everywhere, and lots of, uh, you know, people are really crazy about food, so it's kind of a paradise for, for food. And then here is, too. I think it's two of the best places for playing with food. Mm. Yeah. So they, they brought you in as a chef, or they brought you in to, to work in the in the kitchen? Yeah, my first my first stay here was for the for a five month internship in the middle of that program, and uh, I overstayed the the five months by a few extra months because I was just having too much fun. So I I decided to delay going back to New York, and um, and then 
I went back and finished that program. And when I was heading back to California, uh, the, the kitchen manager, my predecessor called and said they had a job opening and I was unsure whether I wanted to jump right back in because I know how sort of all consuming this place is. So I decided to take that position, but also work up the road at Post Ranch where I could do a little more of the fine dining kind of focused, smaller quantities. And so I did both for the better part of a year. Um, but after a while, I was very tired. It was really long days and I realized I would have to let go of one of them. And so I just went all in at Esalen at that point. So what were your impressions of, of Esalen in terms of when you when you started working? I imagine one of the things that's attractive about uh, working here is that you're able to source uh, some of your food from the garden that, that's grown here. Definitely. That's a dream for sure. The movement that's really pairing uh, chefs and restaurants with farms, you know, it was definitely happening then and it's gotten, you know, even even more common now. But to have the produce... Uh, you know, just feet from the kitchen and coming in every single morning. We have the opportunity to sometimes serve things that are literally straight out of the ground, no refrigeration. And yeah, money cannot buy uh, that type of food, the energy it has and it, the pristine condition. It's, uh, it's a really special thing. So that was definitely one of the, the major draws mm-hmm. was knowing that, that that was happening here. I know that you've worked with Gestalt here as a leader. I'm not exactly sure to what to what extent, although you could you could tell me. And I wanted to ask whether the the communication style and the Gestalt processing was also an attraction for you from the start. Um, it it definitely was. I didn't know um, really the meaning of Gestalt the way it's applied here until I arrived. Um, as a, and I think there's a lot of different understandings of what that means in this context. Uh, for me, it's really, a, I think it's sort of the, the awareness practice that's, that's used pretty widely here at Esalen and then applied in a variety of contexts. Uh, so there's a communication style that's really informed by the Gestalt awareness practice that we sort of use as our lingua franca. And then there's also a lot of the personal work that I've been able to do in the time I've been here and in the conflict resolution and in the just, you know, learning more about each other and learning more about our, uh, my impact on the people around me. And, uh, yeah, it's, I was interested and very, um, you know, also not, not super informed, but I had a therapist that I was, uh, seeing in New York and right before I came out here, I told him I might be going to Esalen, and he just lit up. He got really excited and said, uh, if you can do that, do it, because you can get, you know, a, a decade worth of, of talk therapy in a couple months in an environment <laughs> like that. So uh-huh. that definitely got me interested. Was that true? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's around the clock here. <laughs> I imagine it must be pretty different than... I don't know that much about kitchens. I've read Kitchen Confidential and uh, watched the TV shows and stuff like that. But what I understand from that book and those TV shows is that it can be pretty brutal in terms of communication in kitchens. Definitely, yeah. The communication in in normal kitchens is very truncated, um, super brusque, and maybe uh, abrasive. There's a real macho culture in a lot of kitchens. And that's been changing over the last 10 years for sure. But yeah, militaristic and very results-driven. I think the 
one of the very common uh, expectations in in professional kitchens is that you're just you just leave everything at the door when you come in there you're just a machine and couldn't be more different than how we approach it here uh, the work is similar the you know the demands what we're what we need to produce is similar but we go about it in a pretty radically different way okay could yeah. you tell us what the what the different way is we spend a lot of our time and our bandwidth on learning you know how how each of us is showing up that day and what are what are what's each individual's desires and needs and concerns and um really turning towards everything that's happening uh in this constellation of people whether it's interpersonal conflict or physical needs or limitations or someone who's really curious about a certain thing and hoping they can get involved in it our time together in the kitchen is really us supporting these different people on their different paths and supporting them to be here and explore what they came to learn. And then we're also making food for, for everybody else in the process. Is there time outside of the kitchen for the people who work there to kind of sort out their, uh, their, their issues and whatnot? That's not, they're not like chopping beets at the same time. Yeah. We try to make as much time for that as possible. So, um, you know, each shift will carve out a bit of time where, where we can, either leave the the workspace or gather around uh you know one of the tables in the kitchen and and spend a little time just uh checking in with each other and and sort of sharing um again what what sort of support people need and what's what's going on and then we also get together once a week uh for two hours in um you know at Esalen there's a lot of time spent sitting in circles with different constellations of people and um, yeah, again, learning about each other and, and just sort of putting our, uh, our experience into the space and seeing how it affects other people. I think that there's the sort of encounter stuff that was happening here a, a long time ago has carried on a bit into the, how the, the community, uh, you know, how we sort of team build and, and learn about each other. So yeah, we spend some time each week doing that also. It's really amazing. There's in the time I've been here, I've known uh, there's been some people who have have come here and learned a lot of cooking skills and went on to to cook professionally. There's many more who came and they were therapists in training, and so the time they spent in the Esalen kitchen was time learning um, this style of facilitation <clears throat> and this style of of communicating and holding space for people and. Um, the ones I've stayed in touch with, you know, they're doing that in, uh, in cities and in other, in clinics up in the Bay area and all over the country. And, um, I think that's a really special thing that, uh, that we get to, to experience each other that way while we're at work. Do you feel like you kind of have to be part facilitator in your role as executive chef at Esalen? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) for sure. I think that's what I've learned here that's been the most impactful is is that it you know the aspects of that skill set are what I'm really grateful for and I don't think I would have I I can't imagine having having been able to develop those those uh skills in a in another kitchen you know it's just not um there isn't enough time and space and and it's not prioritized you know yeah in restaurant kitchens so yeah, having that uh, having that experience has been really wonderful. When I do work outside of Esalen, if I'm there's some events where a lot of crews are thrown together on like um, 
benefit events and fundraisers or if I'm teaching or, uh, you know, working events for clients and stuff. That's the thing that, that people always share with me is that I have a sort of superhuman level of patience and presence and ability to tolerate uh, the chaos around me. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I think that's that's really something that is cultivated here, the sort of uh, non-attachment to outcomes and, and holding space for, you know, the humans that are around us and, and what's happening in the moment, the presence. I love that. Do you have any specific self-care techniques that you use <clears throat> that that center you, that en- enable you to do a, a difficult job but still retain an attitude of non-attachment? That's one place that I need to continue to develop, for sure. Um, I, uh, I pretty much just just go, go, go until I uh, crash. But in the last couple of years, I've, I've really fallen in love with swimming, and I find that uh, being underwater is, you know, we spend a lot of time here uh, working on being in the body and following the breath and really being present in the moment. And I find that that's uh, underwater. There's no other way to be, you know, it's immediate. That is how I, how I sort of center lately is I just uh, swim a little bit, go back to work, and that helps a lot for yeah. sure. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the workshop that I've seen you teaching f- from afar yeah, it's called uh, Farmstead Traditions for the Contemporary Kitchen. And um, yeah, what I'm doing in there is basically introducing people to a traditional cooking and preserving uh, techniques that would be found on a, on a farmstead. It's really, I was inspired by uh, traveling. Well, I think originally where I got the bug for that was when I was in my early 20s, I spent a year in Eugene, Oregon, and I was living on a little suburban street, and it was all these college kids living on this street. And um, I planted a little raised bed garden in the backyard, and I was growing a bunch of you know tomatoes and peppers and stuff. And the neighbors started coming over. On Sundays, I would have a little barbecue and you know play around with food from the garden. And all these college kids would they would tell me, you know, my, my dad's a fisherman, my parents have a farm, and they would start showing up with uh, all this produce, and eventually they were rolling in with these, you know, huge, uh, like, ice chests off the boats, just packed with sweet corn and tomatoes and herbs, and, and they would bring a whole salmon or a whole mackerel, and so we had this kind of supper club on Sundays that got pretty big, and the the thing I kept hearing was that, you know, my parents are from these kids, they would say my parents are just so happy that someone's eating this food, you know, uh, and that we're interested in it. And sometimes the parents would pop by and, you know, take photos of what we were doing. And so, yeah, I've, uh, it struck me that, you know, there really is a, there's a disconnect between kind of food in its whole form and what most of us are used to working with and cooking at home. And so, the, this workshop's really, um, it's, it's helping people um, get inspired about how to, how to deal with sort of the, the feast or famine that happens if you are either gardening at home or even shopping at the farmer's market. You know, they tend to sell things in these really big bunches that are hard to, hard to eat in one sitting. And so figuring out what to do with that, you know, arm-sized bunch of, of herbs or the 
the carrots that are, you know, just blowing up at the farmer's market. Um, and anyone who's garden knows that at some point you're going to have all this squash and you have to mm-hmm. figure out <laughs> what to do or all the tomatoes are ripe at the same time. So, um, yeah, there was that experience and then traveling, uh, traveling around and seeing, you know, places where they're still really connected to their traditional agriculture. And the, the place that inspired me the most was Austria. They've been so protective of their traditional agriculture and there's still these these functioning farmsteads all over especially in the in the Tyrolean Alps and uh, it's really wonderful there will be a community with you know each farm is somewhat self-sustaining but that's not the point they're always everyone has their specialties and their stuff that they're really known for in the community and then they're all just swapping everything so if you're not great if your orchard's not as extensive as your neighbor then you focus on grains and milling and uh or animals and then the neighbor you know has the orchard and that's kind of the plan for that workshop is we explore uh you know some uh we'll we'll brine and cure and smoke and pickle and ferment and can and sun dry and uh just play around with all the stuff from our garden and whatever's in season from from the area too I like to tell everyone this is the original convenience food, you know. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a larder or, you know, a pantry at home that has a few of these items, then you can add these things to whatever's really abundant in that moment. So as you're cooking through the seasons, uh, it's really lovely to have something that you spent a little time on that's, you know, kind of packaged up and beautiful and it's a little time capsule from last year or a few months ago. And when people come over, uh, it's really exciting to pull something like that out and share it with them and so I get emails all the time from people who've taken the class and they'll show me what they worked on and and how they decided to to feature it later on and yeah I think it uh, it's a it's a fun set of tricks to show people because these are simple things that can be pretty intimidating do you have any favorite books that you recommend for fermentations or yeah definitely the for fermenting, I think a really good um, a book to get people interested and inspired is Wild Fermentation by Sander Katz. And once you start doing it, uh, you'll find that some things are actually easier and simpler than, than are described in that book. So I think... I love um, that book. Yeah. I, I, he is absolutely amazing. Yeah, totally. I've seen him a few times at different fermentation festivals, and there's actually a pickle festival in, in uh, downtown in Manhattan every fall that he's a big star at. And then there's one up in Sonoma, too. And now, he lives on a pretty wild commune in Tennessee, right? That's what I've heard, yeah. But yeah, he's passionate. I mean, he can get a crowd really worked up over pickles and sauerkraut, which is, you know, that's a special skill to have. <laughs> um, but yeah, that book is great. And then there was a follow-up to the original Wild Fermentation book, too, that I think that's it, also great. That's pretty much how I was doing everything, was, was the way that he described for a long time. And then as I started meeting people, you know, I, I saw how the Austrians were making the sauerkraut, which was simpler and more foolproof. And then I saw how some, some Korean Americans were doing the kimchi and realizing, you know, like, you know actually... There's some shortcuts and there's some, you know, some ways to really uh, demystify it even further. I've noticed a lot of, uh, of increase in fermentations available in the lodge. Yeah, yeah, that's something that uh, 
our goal is to have some some cultured vegetables at every meal and and to have a little variety of them i'd i'd love it if people would you know get really turned on and excited by that especially folks who haven't tried it so yeah we have the the basics bar in the lodge which the intention there you know it's new we're still kind of dialing it in but the intention is to always have uh, some cultured vegetables and some sprouted stuff and some you know featured items from the garden and and other things that you can put together to have a really live food there's been bone broth yeah and bone too broth which is too, really yeah. fun it's kind of like the trendy Indeed. great the uh, Definitely. <laughs> yep. What do you think surprises most people about working in the Esalen kitchen? I guess I'm one thing that one thing that constantly surprises people is is how busy we are, for sure. Until you've experienced um, preparing food on the scale that we do, you know, we measure ingredients in in buckets, and everything that we assemble, we do hundreds of times in a row. So the the volume, if you look at the the meal that's on offer and you imagine cooking it for, you know, a small crowd, it seems like, oh, how hard can it be? But cooking it for a really huge crowd, yeah, it's it's just busy. There's a lot of people doing sharing the space and doing different things. You know, people are moving at different speeds and focused in different ways and all of it has to be choreographed so that we're uh, you know, budgeting the the available space and equipment and time, and also that we have the right people on the right tasks, you know? So there's a real high level of energy and intention. We're in constant motion. Yeah, I think that is something that surprises people. And just how many dishes we have to do, you know? it's That's part of it, too. Yeah, it never ends. That's actually one thing that I really appreciate about uh, living at Esalen is that I don't have to do dishes. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of magic, and I, you know, obviously appreciate getting three meals a day when I when I do eat here. Yeah, so, but there's somebody doing it. Indeed, yeah. There's wave after wave of dishes. That's one of the the places where we uh, each month we always have the opportunity to, you know, step into the the pond is is where we do the dishes and and explain. Uh, you know, at times it'll it'll just get buried in dishes and the if it's early in the month and the the students in there are pretty new it's easy to get really freaked out and think we're never going to be done with these dishes and it's it happens every time so we get to explain that you know whether there's a thousand dishes or two dishes you're still going to wash them one at a time and at some point you'll be done so just wash one dish and then wash the next dish and uh, there's some sort of a life lesson in there. There's got to be, you know, <laughs> just we're going to do the same thing regardless and uh, just kind of keep keep the faith. And at some point it'll be done. What do you think Esalen's role is moving forward? Like they're what with the, the demands of the planet and things being harder to source. What is, what is, the, what is Esalen's role moving forward in terms of sustainability? It's a really good question. I think ideally... This is something that, you know, we talk about a lot. And the thing about food philosophies is there's everyone's an expert on what is what is good for them and to a certain extent what's good for the planet, too. So there's so many opinions and there's so many different value systems and belief systems around food. Uh, It is hard to unite, you know, a large a large community around one particular food philosophy. If I had my way, I think that um, 
situated as we are, having a, a on-site farm and garden is is just, you know, that's a really amazing and unique uh, resource to have. And then also just where we're located on the central coast of California, where there's so much produce right here. I think what I like is is preparing a, a plant-based diet that's very seasonal and that is focused in, uh, you know, the, the local food movement can get a little confusing at times, but really just uh, food that is that is grown in the community that's uh, that's in season at, you know, at this time and is fresh. Ideally, we're, we're helping people who are close by, who are cultivating this food to be able to continue to do it in a sustainable way. When you're buying a lot of food the way we do, we can make a really positive impact. Uh, we're sort of voting with our budget in a way. You know, there has been times where we've been able to ask certain uh, purveyors to, to change a little something for us uh, so that we could feel better about it and they respond to those things and we've been able to uh, you know play a pretty big role in keeping some folks in business that that we really believed in and so yeah I think a a plant-based diet where we where we very judiciously use uh, animal products that are really humanely and and sustainably and ethically raised um, I personally prefer to, to use the animal products more at, to season uh, plants and, and uh, grains, vegetables and grains. I like to, and this is something in the workshop too, there's this idea that, you know, if, if we invest the time in growing the produce or if, if we invest the time in raising the animal and it's something that we've really shared some, some time and intention, uh, we're going to value it at a much higher level with the with the animal products too like i i think one of the things that i really champion is is you know curing and and preserving so you know smoked salmon or or a ha- a spanish ham or uh you know some cured cured meats and seafoods because they have so much flavor that you can use them in really small quantities and so you find something that is you know, sustainably and ethically harvested or produced, and then you spend a little time with it and you engage in this sort of alchemy. And and then there's something that is shelf-stable, super highly flavored. And that way, when there is this big pile of collard greens, you know, we have something special in the pantry that we can add to it and and hopefully eat more collard greens than we would otherwise, you Mm -hmm. know. So it's this balance that at any time of the year, there's going to be a whole lot of something and hopefully a little bit of this precious thing that's either just leaving the season or just coming on or something that we put up a while ago and so that this uh there can be this little dance where we're always combining that which is abundant with that which is highly valued and precious and and uh that's very satiating too you know there's when there's those elements coming together in a meal i think uh I know I personally am likely to feel very satiated. You know, I feel I feel satisfied, but also sort of enriched by the experience. Mm. That's what I would like. Cook, you know, producing food, cooking, and eating to be like for as for as many people as possible. You know, a little less automatic, a little less, uh, I don't know, compulsive. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. more mindful oh, yeah. and yeah. What is your favorite meal to cook? 
at Esalen? What could people look forward to? Well, for one, I don't cook much anymore. So when I do, um, you know, it's uh, it's usually because somebody was stuck on the other side of a mudslide or something like that. Occupational hazards yeah, of working in Big Sur. Indeed. Um, there's there's some meals that I think just really fit this place and just like feel really good. There's so there's so many I like for different reasons. Yeah. I think um, usually uh, a couple times a month we will have a lunch that is uh, soup and salad lunch and it sounds really humble but what we do is we ha- we ask the the farm and garden a lot of times they have really nice beautiful pristine produce that's either sort of on the young side or they they planted a small amount to see how it would do so there will be items that that we don't really have in in a large quantity so they need to be showcased you know in in a certain way and so we'll we'll ask them to bring in a whole bunch of that stuff and we'll have a, a big spread with lots of different lettuces and and salad greens and if it's summertime, you know, maybe some peppers and some cherry tomatoes and some fennel and carrots and radishes, and uh, we'll put out some of the cultured vegetables and, and then make a few pots of just really hearty, lovely soup and let people sort of combine uh, their own ideal meal out of uh, this sort of big, you know, spread of, of stuff from the garden. And we'll add, you know, some crunchy stuff and sprouty stuff and, you know, little flavorful bits but I like that because I, when I look around in the lodge everyone's plate is totally different which is pretty cool for the dinners I like to make Persian food when I can with what's grown in our garden and then what our neighbors are producing and what's available really just here in Big Sur um, I can make a, a really amazing a very like uh, rich and sort of decadent and and um, inspiring, uh, you know, like a Persian jeweled rice. It's this steamed rice that has this crispy bottom and it's got all dried fruit and nuts in it and saffron and then a stew with some vegetables and some some greens and, you know, the, the stew's thickened with walnuts and it has some pomegranate in there. So in the fall, that's that's a meal that is really exciting to make here just because everything's right right here. Uh, it's, it feels right. So I know that you're moving to Spain with your lovely wife soon. And I'm curious, what's uh, interesting or attractive about the food landscape in, in Spain? And, and where will you be going? Uh, we're, gonna, we're leaving really soon. And we'll be in Madrid for a month or so to kind of finish out the winter. And then we're going to be, uh, we're moving to Ibiza. So... We're going to go there uh, kind of as the winter breaks and be there through the spring. And, yeah, we're going there primarily for the swimming, for the daily dip in the Mediterranean. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the food in Spain is phenomenal for sure. It's uh, – I love it there. And Spain definitely has sort of a national cuisine, the stuff that you'll run into anywhere regardless of the region. Uh, and all of that stuff's great, but then there's also the – the regional specialties that vary quite a bit. Yeah, they're just really into food. They, uh, I've never had a meal in Spain where we didn't talk about food throughout the entire meal. <laughs> like you, that's just what it's how it's done. And um, in some places, in San Sebastian and in the Basque Country as a whole, uh, cooking there is like a it's a sport. You know, they're 
they're so intense about cooking. And there's all these kitchens, these public kitchens all over. So that's how people spend uh, their social time too. And at, in the evenings, people go out and they get a drink or two and then they go to a kitchen and cook together. You know, they're just, they're crazy about it. And the ingredients are great, you know, a lot of sun. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Ibiza in particular, uh, there's there's orchards everywhere. So the whole island's covered in, in tamarind, which doesn't really get used much, but I love tamarind. And so I have a lot of plans for that. And then there's, uh, you know, there's citrus and stone fruit and nuts and olives all over the island. There's there's still a lot of small farms on the northern, on the more quiet parts. So there's a lot of uh, farms that are producing goat cheese and honey and they, and then they'll have, you know, prepared sort of specialties where they actually prepare food from, uh, from what they're growing. And so, and the orchards are everywhere. Just, you know, sort of, you, you can randomly stumble on on an orchard that's just heavy with fruit and yeah it's pretty great and then obviously there's there's some uh sardines and shrimp to eat too when you want to oh yeah do you plan on being a chef for the rest of your life i i want to keep teaching i want to keep cooking uh i'd like to i my my goal is to cook a little more collaboratively and being a chef is really full on. It's kind of an around the clock thing. There's always something uh, that has to be dealt with. You know, there's just so many moving parts to a commercial kitchen that uh, it's hard to have a work-life balance as a chef. So I'm going to be a cook and hopefully uh, a teacher as well. Um, we're going to be doing some retreats. That's kind of that's our our business plan. So we'll be starting out. Um, you know. Um, doing retreats at a couple of established properties that do those on the island and then ultimately we're we're going to put something together for ourselves so that we can you know do them where we live and mm-hmm. sort of have a, a whole lifestyle and community out of it what do you think Eslin has changed most about you during the how long have you been here uh i have been here for 10 years since uh 2006 where do you see the uh the most dynamic or obvious change that's happened to you hmm there's been a there's been a lot for sure definitely the the opportunities I've had to to teach the workshops have been really huge I um I saw myself as as being you know pretty good at uh, at um you know leading a crew and managing and sort of you know explaining what needs what needs to happen and then getting through it but the quality of uh you know teaching versus versus running something um that I didn't have when I got here and so the first couple workshops I did I was running them like a production kitchen and a few people were really into it but most of the people I could see were needing something else you know and I started playing around with um you know just being more uh, available for small talk and be and making more jokes and taking more breaks and really just kind of stepping back from my loyalty being to the food and the product and and focusing it on holding space for these people to have a to have a experience and no and realizing that everyone was there for a slightly different reason and then people respond to different uh yeah, people have different styles of learning. And so 
yeah, being able to do that, deliver that program, you know, over and over and refine it and see how it was landing and get feedback from people. And there's something very special about SLN2 for anyone who's teaching here, regardless of what the content is, that people who come here for a workshop, they just drop in in a way that is, you know, it doesn't happen in other places. And so there's this openness and this trust that that something really special is happening here. And so being able to to uh, build those skills in this environment has been really awesome. I'm super grateful for it. What is your secret superpower? What's something that you're really good at that not many people know? Hmm. I love to clean things. I love to... <laughs> Um, I love to look at something that might seem clean and then uh, spend some time on it and then realize that it wasn't clean at all. I like to just really detail things. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's my current superpower that I've just been discovering. Oh, we're moving out of this house that we've been in for a few years, and so I've been kind of detailing the different areas, and uh, I like to get really into that. Um, that's a pretty boring superpower. It's cool, though. It's, yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Just to kind of wrap things up, I know that you have a lot of responsibilities still <laughs> going on here. I wanted to ask you, what's something that you might miss about being at Esalen after having been here for so long? Um, I am, I'm definitely going to miss being able to spend so much time in, in a, a group of of really amazing and diverse and interesting people uh, and and the the ever changing constellation of those people that I've gotten to spend all uh, spend this time with the uh the thing I love the most about Esalen is is the the way this place just throws together all of these people that um you know just the the crew in the kitchen on any given month it's it's multi-generational and international and so, you know, multidisciplinary. There's people who are, uh, everyone here for the most part is in some big transition in their life where they wouldn't have headed here. And so there's people who are at the beginning of a career or, you know, just trying to figure out what direction they want to go and how they want to impact the world. And then there's people who are retiring from a career and wondering what they're going to do after that. And there's people who are changing careers. There's people who are uh, grieving or um, looking for the strength to make a, a big change in their lives. And there's people who are here, you know, working through through some trauma that's been holding them back f their whole lives, you know, and they're, they have an expectation that something really big is going to happen. And that's who we build our team from each month it's pretty amazing you know and and that's really uh that's what i'm gonna miss is learning who everybody is over that first few days and always being surprised yeah washing dishes together and tearing lettuce and chopping vegetables and sweeping the floors and holding hands in a circle and you know doing uh the the sort of transparency and the honesty and the really deep, authentic sharing and experiencing of people at work. You know, I plan to do that. I plan to do that in my life, but to get to do that at work, you know, 
it's uh it's pretty great well thank you philip burris executive chef thanks for your service and i really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us thank you it's been my pleasure thanks so much Thank you for listening to Voices of Beslan. Today's episode was produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldyn Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Our music is by Nico Holloman. To hear more episodes, search for Voices of Esalen on iTunes and please subscribe. Or find us on the web at esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. All of our episodes are archived there. Until next time, be well. <laughs>